Welcome to Our Scars Speak. My name is Christina Miner, and I am the host of this podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to provide our disclaimer. We are not claiming to be medical professionals or any other professional providing advice regarding your treatment plan. We encourage everyone to follow their doctor's orders. We are only here to share our experiences and provide support. Tonight, we have Tara Council. I am so excited. Tara, I met Tara through Here for the Girls, um, which is an organization here in Virginia, but now we're what, like worldwide almost. And um, her and I just became friends. Like we also co-facilitate a newly diagnosed group with Here for the Girls. We're also calendar ambassadors um, for the year 2023, but it was just like instantaneously, we just kind of like collided and we just really got along good as friends, not just co-facilitators and not just going through breast cancer experience together, but literally like friends. Like I feel like she's my sister. So I'm gonna quit rambling. Um, Tara, thank you for coming on. I appreciate having you here thank with you me tonight. Me. Thank yeah. you. I'm so excited. I love, you know, I love my Christina. I've been waiting you. for this for 10 months. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. So um and I can let you also share if you want to why you chose why you chose this month. Uh because a lot of people may not realize this, but a lot of times when women from here for the girls come on that are calendar ambassadors, the month that they decided to choose for the calendar, there's reasoning, there's a reason behind it. Like January was mine. And that was the month that I had a double mastectomy. And this month is Tara's um, month in the, uh, in the calendar. So I'm gonna let her share that as well tonight, but I just love her so much. And so Tara, just tell us a little bit about who you are, not Tara, the survivor or advocate or mom, just who are you as a person? I'm 38 years old. <laughs> I am, well, you don't mean to say I'm a mom, but I am a mom. That's very much my identity. <laughs> I'm a mom. I'm a wife, a sister. Um, I am an avid Disney fan, like Disney fanatic, love Walt Disney World. That is my, my big passion. I love reading. I am a yogi and I am a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. Um, I'm a player and a DM, so totally nerd out in many different ways. <laughs> and I like exercising. Yeah, you do. You do. You like it. Um, yeah, I know you are very avid as far as like yoga. You are, you know, you're my inspiration when it comes to that. Oh. 100%. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, be- before we get into anything about like your story, mm-hmm. I just want people to know what was life like before you even received the diagnosis? Like, tell us a little bit about that. And then we can get into um, later when you found out and how you found out, but because your sure. story is a little bit different. So sure. Yeah. I was 33 years old. Um, we had just moved cross country from California and I had, my daughter had just turned one, um, you know, right before I was diagnosed. So I was a new mom. We, um, our Navy family, we started in well together. We started in Florida and we moved across the country to Monterey, California, which was an amazing adventure, like absolutely stunning out there. And, you know, then we moved over back east to Virginia. And so life was just an adventure. Um, very much so I was able to be with my daughter at that point. I wasn't working and just, you know, loving that whole, that whole life of 
the entire all the time, but the the joy that comes with it, um, I would say joyful. My life was very joyful. Okay. And you say you were 33. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. All right. So you're 33, living life, husband in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at what point did you find the lump or did you, did you have any signs or symptoms? What kind of got you to the point of even finding out you had breast cancer? My routine pop. <laughs> I, wow. I just, we moved in January of 2018 and I was due. And so, you know, I went in in March um, and again, new to a city, new to the state, new to the city. And the nurse practitioner, Kathy Brown, love her, love her met her for the first time, you know, she's doing her thing. And we were just chatting away and she goes, you know, you have, you have a a lump here. And it it was really reflecting. I had felt it before, um, months before. And I didn't honestly think about it at all because it was right near my nipple. And I was like, I'm just finished breastfeeding, you know, breasts are lumpy. And I didn't, I'm 33. At that point I was 32. I didn't even wasn't on my radar, just, I, I forgot. And so when she said that, it's like the floor dropped from beneath me and she said, it's probably a cyst, but just in case we're going to have you checked out. And that was on a Thursday and they had me go to a, through Sentara breast center. Mm-hmm. Um, they had me go for my mammogram that Monday. So it was like, boom, 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 boom. And within a week I was diagnosed. It was very wow. quick. Yeah. It was April 1st. I had my mammogram, by the way, like April Fool's Day. Oh, what a, cool <laughs> like, what a, yeah. what a, what a April Fool's joke, which yeah. is not a joke. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So I hadn't, no, I didn't have, I did not have any symptoms, no pain. I had some discharge, but I had been breastfeeding. Like mm. that was, I didn't differentiate between milk discharge and anything else. Right. So it threw me for a complete loop. So basically, yeah, because they tell you, I mean, even with checking our breasts now for those individuals who still have a menstrual menstrual cycle, they tell you to make for sure you check five days or so after because it's lumpy and hormones, same thing with breastfeeding. It's kind of hard to differentiate what is from the breastfeeding and what's not. Um, It's good thing that she checked you though, because you probably wouldn't have even thought twice about it like you hadn't anyway, because you just felt that little lump. Um, was it, well, was it little or was it like a bigger size lump? It was um, 1.88 centimeters. Okay. Uh, okay. So not, not extraordinarily large. It was right, right behind my nipple. Um, so you could feel it. And it was, so I had my mammogram on April 1st. They uh-huh. did it. They had me go wait. And then they called me back for an ultrasound. And at that point, like you're starting yeah. to sweat because you're like, oh my gosh. And the radiologist came in and she said, okay, it looks suspicious. And I mean, it was immediate, immediate tears, immediate. Like there was no, <laughs> no hesitation. She said, it looks suspicious. And she wanted me to come in for a um, biopsy. And then she set me up with the, the um, nurse navigator. And they started to give, before it was even like, cancer, like they set me up with a nurse navigator. And I was like, oh boy, this is not, this is not good. And my husband was actually deploying a week later. 
And so like our feet were to the fire. And I told him that I was like, look, my husband's deploying. So if there's something going on, right. like, expedite it. Cause normally like there's a waiting period. So they mm-hmm. got me in the next day. And then um, I had the biopsy and then Thursday they were able to expedite the results and we got the results in on Thursday. So it was one week to the day from when they found my, um, my lump that I was, I was diagnosed and I forgot what your question was. I'm so sorry. No, no. It was like you answered it. Okay. The lump, like the size of it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't that big. Um, but coming back when they when they returned with the pathology, uh, it wasn't that large. It was mm-hmm. um, I had DCIS as well, and it was invasive. They knew at that point from where it was located, and I was a grade three. And so we talk about grades, and that's how aggressive it can be. And there's three grades. And mine was um, a grade three. So that's how quickly it was spreading, decaying, multiple, dying and multiplying. Right. So it was, it was, um, yeah. So you had DCIS and what else? Um, Ductal carcinoma. Okay. So you had invasive and DCI. You had ductal Mm -hmm. carcinoma in situ. And -hmm. then you also had invasive. Yes. Ductal invasive right? Yes. Or invasive ductal. I don't know how, which That's way. Invasive, invasive ductal carcinoma. And okay. it is um, ER, PR positive, HER2 negative. So if, if you know, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. we start splitting out the lingo. Um, basically it was hormone driven, which makes sense because right. I had carried a baby and hormones are like just flying everywhere at that time. Yeah. So, and, you know, you follow with all the tests, right? Like there's that waiting period where nothing goes on for like two weeks. And then it's like, you're bombarded with the CT and MRI bone density. I had, um, I was tested for genetics and I came back as a BRCA2 carrier. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you, because I can't remember if you, if you, I thought you were a carrier, but I want to make for sure. And also was there any cancer in your family? Like, did your grandparents, your mom, dad, like did anybody in your family, I know you're the carrier, but had yeah. you ever seen anyone in the family have any type of cancer before? So yes, cre- cre- kind of crazy. So it, it is paternal. It's on, it came from my, my father's side, really crazy. My paternal grandmother was diagnosed six weeks after me. So the day that I started chemo, she was having her lumpectomy and oh. which was wild. So I was like, Hey, you know, I have the the genetics, I have the gene, like pass this on to your, your caregiver, your doctors. Um, and then cr- even crazier on my mom's side, my maternal side, my mm-hmm. cousin, who's two years younger than me was diagnosed 10 months after me. So within a year, I had my grandmother and my cousin. My grandmother was genetic. My cousin was not. And she's actually a two-time breast cancer survivor because it returned and she she wow. fought hard and she beat it. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. But it did come from your father's side. It did. Um, oddly enough, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather did have prostate cancer, which is goes hand in hand Absolutely. often with the BRCA2. And his sister, half sister, um, had a mastectomy, a single mastectomy, like way back, like in the seventies, I think. Wow. Um, and there's history there. Like, I think her grandmother also had 
one of the first mastectomies. I don't even know. I, I'm making that up at that point, but I know there's some sort of really cool fact. I don't want to give misinformation. Right. Um, and then on my paternal side, my my grandmother's side, her sister died of cervical cancer at a young age. And so it was, you know, it was there. It, it so sure was. Did you know about that? when you got tested or did you find out all this information after you got tested? You know, sometimes families, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily convey the information to one another. And I think that's so good why people now get the genetic testing done more probably now than ever, I think, um, because now we can get our kids tested if need be, including the men, the male children, because yes. they can be carriers as well, and they can have breast cancer. But I was just wondering before you got the diagnosis before you received the diagnosis was there ever any talk of cancer or did that kind of like trigger oh that's right such and such had this or okay it kind of triggered it I knew my grandfather had prostate cancer and then of course when this happens everybody starts going back and thinking and I knew I was going for genetic testing I had to have my history you know, there's other, of course, like thyroid issues and you know things like that um so I went in saying hey this, I told them my history. So we, we knew Okay. Still, a lot of, most of breast cancers are not genetic. Like there isn't a gen they say, <laughs> but you well, know. yeah, because I think we've had this discussion before about yeah. how, like, even for me, it wasn't genetic supposedly, but my doctor, you, you know, Dr. Spina, she's like, it is a mutation period, <laughs> but we may have not found your mutation yet. Right. So that's why it's good to always go back and have those panels done again after I think she said anywhere between like five, seven years, because the panels are always changing mm-hmm. with new mutations. So um, yeah. So yeah, I'm like, you. Yeah, I kind of, I believe everybody has some type, there's something, but we yes. don't necessarily know because based off the panels that they may have. So I just have a question about your grandfather. So if he had prostate cancer, did they offer him a genetic testing or anything? I'm just I curious. Know. I don't know. Unfortunately, my aunts okay. would know. Um, they, I, I would have to ask them. It okay. was, I mean, I was in middle school. Gotcha. So it, it was a good 20 years ago, I think. Yeah. Cause I, the reason why I asked that is because somebody up here may be listening or listen later because prostate cancer is a very much so link. Um, a lot of times to breast cancer, yeah, like you yeah. stated, and a lot of people don't know that they, and they may, and I'm just wondering, are they even offered a genetic test? Because I know some people who've had prostate cancer and they weren't necessarily offered that genetic testing. So that's the reason why I was asking. I, I'm going to, I mean, I could see my grandpa being like, no, <laughs> they offered it to him. I could see him being like, nah, like I'm just going to deal with this and we're going to move on <laughs> type of thing, honestly. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> So you find out all this information, your husband, I know how the military is. Sometimes they let him stay back. Sometimes they don't. In your situation, did he have to continue to fulfill his mission and his assignment or could he stay back home with you? So he did deploy. He deployed with the ship and they, we were, we were very, very, very lucky. They sent him back two days before my surgery. Oh, he came home two days before my mastectomy um, and he stayed for the brunt of my really hard chemo. And I'm so, so glad he did, because if he didn't, if he wasn't there, you know, surrogacy and like fertility may have looked different. Um, right. he was able to stay for my hard chemo and then he had to deploy again. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine. With a one-year-old. 
Yeah. By the way, hat goes off to you for sure. Cause you know, my husband's, well, I don't say was cause he's a Marine, you know, once a Marine, always Marines, but retired <laughs> Marine. And you know, when they deploy, they, they have no control over that. They have to go if you know, they make them, but sometimes they can work things out and come back home a little bit early. So that's good that he was able to get back home. Um, So about how long from the time that you found out, he left a week later, correct? He did, yes. Okay, and then after that, he left for how long? Uh, July, August, September, October. I think like four months. So in those four months, because I know how fast our treatments and stuff can go, within those four months, you had to take treatment, correct? I was going, I was in active chemo. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I had family. I, I was so lucky. I, I know my mother-in-law is watching right now. She moved yeah, in. Have people watching. <laughs> she moved in. Yes. Yeah. I know. I, she moved in. Um, we, you know, my mom was in Florida and is a teacher and was working full time. And she was also, you know, partial caretaker for my grandfather. So she couldn't come. She was here for my mastectomy. She came uh-huh. for my start of chemo. My sister came for my start of chemo. My aunt, who's a nurse, flew up for to help me get a second opinion. Aunt Cheryl, she flew up to, um, was there for my mastectomy and helped like with my drains, helped me shower. She was, um, my mother-in-law basically like moved in, which is fantastic. Cause again, we had a one-year-old and she focused on Riley and, you know, when my husband was home, he focused on me. Um, my, you know, my sister-in-law Kim came and would come and stay and work from from our house when she could. Like I was not alone. My friend, like I had friends coming, Sam and you know my friend right. Megan and Ashley, who I met in Virginia Beach. Like it was just and talk about so. Listen, talk about so nice. I mm-hmm. we had just moved there. We didn't have any family, right? Um, and I was diagnosed, and we had started my daughter at the little gym in February. And so they found out and they started a meal train for me and people, I didn't know like teachers who instructors there after my mastectomy were delivering meals, like just talk about kindness. And then I know we're going to talk about surrogacy. My surrogate ended up being the director of the little gym. So like that's important though, because also I I want people to understand too, when you're in the I know for me, and I'm sure your experience probably was the same too, being a military family and you're in a whole nother state can be a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be a lot within itself. Then you have children at it. Then your husband's leaving all the time and you're there by yourself, like in another whole nother state or either a country by yourself. So your military family also becomes family. Like Mm -hmm. they, they know something's going on. They're going to usually jump in and help. Um, And so that I always want people to understand that about military lifestyle. Like it, we really do lean upon each other as family because that's all the family <laughs> have in that moment. But I do know your actual immediate family is very significant to you. And you all, <laughs> y'all show out because I remember the gala last year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. whole crew was there. So, <laughs> yeah, so yes. Were. So they're very supportive of you. And that, that means a lot when you're going through treatment. I'm thankful that your husband was able to come back though before the surgery and before the hard part of your chemo. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to share with anybody about that time period, like just going through the treatment and how it was for you? Not necessarily, you can talk about the physical aspect, but also the mental aspect, because I know it can really play a part on us as far as mentally as well as physically. Yes. Yeah, so 
there were, there were, there was 36 days, 36 days between my diagnosis and my surgery. Mm-hmm. And I had a double mastectomy and immediate, immediate reconstruction um, because I was a BRCA carrier. We, we went with both. And while they were doing my surgery, they found that it had spread to my lymph node. And it was a little bit like a micromet, like very tiny, but they went ahead and removed my lymph nodes and put a a port in um, because they knew with my age and my genetic disposition, like they wanted to be really aggressive. And so that was really, you know, disappointing to have to have that. But at the same time, I was like, give me, give me everything because I want it out. So they gave me AC, which they call the red devil, um, adriamycin, I think, I can't remember the full name. And I, if, if anybody's listening who is newly diagnosed and you're facing possible treatment, take everything with a grain of salt. Like people have their experiences and we always share, Christina, everybody's body is different. I was so, 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 so lucky. I never got sick. I never vomited. I had a headache the first, the first time. And that was it. I was just seriously fatigued. But after four days, I was able to um, bike ride and, you know, take my daughter to the park. And so I was so, 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 so lucky. And then when I was going through, so I was four rounds right. and then I started my taxol and it was every week and it was less, what's the, um, not as, I don't know, strong. I don't know the word to use, but you know, my daughter, like I was home with, with Riley. And at that right. point, my mother-in-law, she, you know, moved back out. And so there are weeks that I was just with Riley and it was the two of us. And she would go to um, like mother's day out when I had my actual chemo and I would drive myself and go, go pick her up and drive her home. And we would nap. And it was, you know, it was fine. Cause she was in the napping age. Right. Um, so physically I was very lucky mentally I was exhausted and I beat myself up because I couldn't keep up with her a lot Mm. and she doesn't remember she doesn't know I'm so happy I had my mother-in-law there she was amazing but I I would remember sitting there like watching them play and I felt like a failure because I couldn't do that for her but it was just my own label like I was doing it to myself right so I had to remind myself to, to rest, that rest is healing and that Mm -hmm. it was okay to nap all day. Like I wasn't lazy. I was recovering. And you know, that's important because rest is part of healing. And Mm -hmm. for anyone who knows Tara, or maybe you don't, some of you may not, she is very, very happy. Like, even if she's sad, she'll try to find that silver lining in there somewhere to make sure she's happy. Um, and so for her, to say this, I know it must have been very difficult because she doesn't even have the disposition of being angry or, you know, not to say she doesn't get angry or sad, but it's just the fact that she always try to find something positive, even out of the negative, so-called negative situation. So mm-hmm. to hear that, it must have been very difficult for you. Um, so with that being said, so how, okay, you said lymph nodes were taken out. Just so people know, you did not have the regular sentinel lymph node where they do just one or two or three on each side. You had how many? You had the exit, was it auxiliary or axillary? Axillary, yeah, axillary lymph node uh, dissection. Yeah. They inject. So, you know, my mammogram showed what it showed. My ultrasound right. showed that there were, you know, DCIS. My MRI showed that there were two spots that the, mm-hmm you know, ultrasound couldn't pick up in between that 
and like actual surgery, it had started to spread in my lymphatic system. We didn't know that. Like they say, oh, we're going to do it, you know, a dissection. And if it comes back positive, we test it in the OR, we'll take them out and blah, blah, blah. Yep. But that's if that happens. So I went, you know, to <laughs> surgery thinking like, you know, it's just, it's fine. Right. And so when I woke up and had the port already there. I was like, dang, nabbit. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, they ended up taking 14. Was it each side or? No, she only took, no, only my left side. Only your left side. Okay. Yes. Yes. So she didn't have to take any out of the other side at all. No, because everything was clear on this side. And when they removed everything, it looked clear, I guess. I don't know. It was all my left side. And so we all have a different amount of lymph nodes in our, our body. Um, they, she, Dr. Jennifer Reed, amazing. She took out as 14. I don't know if that's all that I had, but they were very aggressive because of my age and because I was a BRCA carrier, which I'm very yeah. thankful for. And you know, what's interesting about your case, usually when doctors see, which I don't know what all biopsies and everything where they went to check, but obviously they did an ex- excellent job because usually when people see DCIS, they're like, oh, it's just in the duct- ducts. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. You know, and for you, you had two different types of cancer and that's rare. Um, sometimes you had the DCIS and you had the invasive ductal. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's interesting. And I want to bring that point up because some people think, oh, well, I just have DCIS. And it's like, no, make for sure they check when they do that lumpectomy and get those clear margins because you could have a secondary cancer in there somewhere. So yeah, so I'm glad that they did that for you. They were so, amazing, yeah. So going back, not necessarily back, but I know that you had this operation done. However, how did it come into play? Didn't you have a hysterectomy um, because of the BRCA gene? Yes. Which I'll yes. let you explain that, but yeah, I want to make sure we tap into that. Absolutely. So there's two different um, BRCA genes. BRCA stands for breast cancer, um, one and two. I have the second one, and that means I am predisposed to breast cancer, <laughs> like obviously uh, ovarian cancer mm-hmm. and like skin cancer. Um, the skin cancer is like a really, really low, low percentage, okay. but it really put me at a higher risk for ovarian cancer. And because I think I said cervical cancer with, with my grandma's aunt, yeah. it was ovarian. I apologize. Okay. It was ovarian cancer. Um, because of that, because of how estrogen positive, it was 99% estrogen positive. Um, I opted to have a hysterectomy and oophorectomy, which means they took everything out, my tubes, my ovaries uterus at all, it all went away, um, as soon as I could. And they made me wait till I was 35 because estrogen is a heart lubricant. And if you do it before 35, you are put at a higher risk of, um, heart attack. So it's like, you know, kind of how to, how to wait that out. And as soon as I turned 35, so it was, oh, well then the pandemic hit and I had to wait. Um, but it was May of 2020 that I didn't have to wait long thankfully, that I had my hysterectomy and everything removed. So now I'm in surgical, like I'm in menopause. I I was in a medical menopause because they had shut down my ovaries to prevent estrogen, you know, being created. Um, And so now I'm in like complete surgical menopause. Yeah. Cause I was told as soon as they take the ovaries out, it's like immediate. You go in there, you get menopause. I mean, 
And you got to remember, like I went from a healthy estrogen producing woman, apparently like overproduction possibly to they right. shut it off. They gave me Lupron shots and that shut my ovaries down. So I immediately went into like a hard menopause and it's normally supposed to be a natural progression. Yeah, progression. And so my body was like, eh, you know, freaking out over it. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot, especially at your age. Um, did you go through radiation? That's what I'm going to ask. I did not. I did not. So I finished chemo and I met with the radiologist oncologist and they said that studies did not support that radiation would lessen my percentage. You know, we're always about what percentage can we get it down for reoccurrence? Right. Like what's, you know, you do surgery, it's going to bring that percentage down. You have chemo, it's going to bring it down even more. For most people, you have radiation and it will bring it down even more so. But for some reason with BRCA2 carriers, they have shown that there's no difference between doing radiation and not having radiation. With my case, if you right. have like a lumpectomy, you probably need radiation. Mm -hmm. um, so we opted to not do it. Okay. Cool. That's good to know. So with all of this that just happened in the hysterectomy, um, what exact, that had to be hard, Tara, considering you're young, mm -hmm. you went from being very fertile, mm -hmm. I'm sure you had goals. Yes, do you want to talk about the next step? what happened with you. I do. I do. Um, yes. So, you know, my husband and I had plans to have more children. It was just what we wanted when we did our nursery for Riley, our daughter, it was, you know, more gender neutral, neutral. So we could continue to use, you know, all the different things. Um, and it was this obviously like pumped the brakes with that. You know, it's, it's funny when, when I'm sure other women, young women, I've actually, I've heard other young women say, it's always like on the back burner when you're diagnosed, the doctors don't really talk about, you know, growing a family. It's not their concern. It's not their priority. Their priority is getting cancer out of your body. And so it was mentioned to me that I should look into it. And I spoke with my husband and I was adamant that I would not carry another child. Like I did not want to risk hormones I didn't want to go through everything I went through, surgery, chemo, to pump hormones into my body because I would have to stop my medication. I'm on a, I'm on a hormone um, inhibitor. I would have to stop that to allow production to start. And I felt it was playing roulette with my body. Um, and I know I'm very lucky so far to have survived it. And I didn't want to risk that. So we decided, I say we, I, I decided, I was like, I'm not carrying another child and he was supportive. Um, and so we, he was deployed at this time when I went to a couple of fertility clinics, to talk to them about it, just to have it on my radar, because I knew that I would want to eventually like have to harvest eggs and all that fun stuff. Well, when I woke up with my port and they said, you're going to need chemo, I had a one month window to make it happen. So they wanted to wait a month for my body to heal um, before I could start chemo. And so if we were going to get any, any eggs, that was the month to do it. And so I called back the doctor and, you know, I don't even think I drove myself to the appointment. I think I still had like my drains in 
I don't know. I just remember crying in front of her because, you know, usually you have more time. Like right. time has been, time is that, oh, we can talk about it later. Time is that word that always like gnaws at me. Um, time is of the essence and it, you know, cancer does not wait. And nope. so I knew I had to heal and I had to do fertility treatments. So the doctor agreed. And I was just really lucky that my cycle, like, was conducive for this. Um, and I started my in hormone injections, uh, 10 days of that. And you gotta remember, like, I'm, I'm black and blue. <laughs> like I had, I had drains in, um, scars, like just stitches. And I'm sitting here. I had my husband, husband give me my shots at first. And then I was determined that I concluded that he was hurting, that he was just hurting me not on purpose, but I was like, you're dirty me. And so I started to give myself shots. And I remember sitting at the table covered like my abdomen, just like a canvas of black and blue and crying before I even injected myself because hormones, like yeah. I was eating through a trauma of losing my breast, of doing this and pumping my body full of hormones, which was scary by the way, yeah. even for that short time. And so thankfully Robert was home with me and we were able to do um, harvest 12, not harvest, they collected 12 eggs, which is pretty good. And yeah. we decided to go ahead and fertilize them right then because um, we had a higher chance of the them freezing, like higher success rate if we made embryos. So out of the 12, we were able to create three embryos that survived the freezing process. Um, they wait five days to like freeze them. And I remember we talk about it, Christina, like where we were when we got the news of, you know, cancer, yeah. you remember that moment. I remember the moment very clearly when I was told how many survived because I was at my mother-in-law's. We were about to go on the boat for dinner. I was actually wearing this shirt I remember this, um, you know, this was like the week before I started chemo. So I was enjoying like my vacation. Yeah. And I remember even getting the call and what, where I was standing. And they said out of the three, only one was viable. And I remember just like, talk about, you know, yes, being positive. I was just absolutely crushed yeah. because I knew the odds of one embryo working. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I went and started chemo and I just kind of forgot about it. It just got pushed to the back of my mind. But during that time, you know, I was still taking Riley to the little gym. And I remember um, they knew what was going on. You know, my, right. my like closest friend, my best friend, Ashley, she was working there. Um, and I was talking to the director, Leanne, and she was asking about my treatment. And I said that I was going through like fertility treatments right now. And she was like, I'll be your surrogate. And I was like, okay, you know, that's very nice of you. Let me survive right. first. Okay. Like, right, right. I need to survive <laughs> in order to do this. Um, and, you know, people say that, like, people say like, oh, I would love to be a surrogate. And you think like, right. okay, hit me up later. Yeah. Well, she did how many years later because it's been five years in December so oh like two and a half years later she randomly like we were friends on Facebook she randomly right. texted me and said hey are you guys still thinking 
of growing your family. It's something I've really wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I really would like to do this for you. And so we met her and I over Mexican and we decided to make a baby together. Well, I mean, we already made a baby, Robert and I, but we decided to do this. Like it was, you know, it was really, it was really quite amazing. And I haven't talked about this publicly yet. So, you know, my close family like knows what happened, but, um, yeah, so we, we decided to go through the process and let me tell you, it was a process and there were lots and lots of hoops that we had to jump through to like make it happen that were very frustrating to be honest. <laughs> I have a question because I yes. don't think some people may or may not know um far as because some people they're like oh well does she take her egg and then the the surrogate's husband's egg or is it her husband's sperm and her mm-hmm. egg can you talk about that a little bit because I just want to make for sure I don't want people to get lost in lingo for yeah. some people who may not understand that it was you and him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I'll let you explain that because I didn't go through it. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's there's uh, two different types of there's traditional surrogacy and there's gestational surrogacy and a traditional surrogate. It's your egg. You're the surrogate. It's your egg. And you're just having it um, like insemination. Um, IUI is when they take semen and they inject it into the uterus, hoping that it's going to fertilize an egg. So that's usually, you know, it's, it's their egg and you're still considered a surrogate, which I learned, which was very surprising. Um, IVF is also, you know, if you take your egg and you can fertilize it outside the body and then you put it back in your body, but you're Mm -hmm. still like the traditional surrogate. So in this case, um, it was my egg, my husband's sperm. It was our embryo. And she was just the carrier. She was the one who was going to carry it to term. Um, And she's called an altruistic surrogate because she was doing it out of the goodness of her heart. (laughs) It's going to make me want to cry because some people do it for a living. They get paid to do it. And she just wanted to help us grow our family. That's so sweet. Yeah, it is. So sweet. Yeah. So So is there anything else that you want to share about those experiences or anything that you have gone through with, um, with like your treatment um, and even with the surrogacy part, is there anything that you want people to know? Because I know you're really big about advocating for this. Yeah. Yes. Um, I didn't know I was going to be an advocate for it until it happened. Um, so surrogacy, there's not a lot out there, unfortunately. Like we, we really, we met and we, we were like, where, where do we go? What do we mm-hmm. do? And she started with her OBGYN who, you know, cleared her and everything. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of paperwork from the time that we decided to do it to the time that she actually had the transfer. It was over a year. Like we could have had a baby at that point, you know, in traditional terms. Um, It's very expensive. They don't really put money out there. I I'm happy to like break it down. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money for our Robert and I were the intended parent, even Mm -hmm. though it was our embryo. Um, we had to pay, I wrote it down here, um, $1,000. And that was for like, te- for this was so aggravating. We had to do FDA blood work to prove that we didn't have any STDs. 
um, prior to making the embryo. And they didn't give it to us five years ago um, when we actually made the embryo. Right. So before they would do anything, before they would transfer this embryo, they had to make sure we didn't have any STDs. And we were like, hello, this was made years ago. Like, what, what? if I did pick something up? Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? It was just, oh, it was so frustrating. Um, her, her part of it was 3,500 for just her like mock trials for just to see, you know, just to, to check that everything was okay, was 3,500. Wow. Then we had to have a psychological evaluation. So she had to have one. Robert and I had to have one. And then we had one together to make sure that we were a good match, which very important. I, I, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to talk about, you know, life-saving tech. What if it's her life or the, the baby's life? Right. What are you going right. to do? What if you have to terminate the pregnancy? Are you okay with that? Is she okay with that? Like there's things that we had to, yeah. we had to agree on. Um, attorney fees. I had, we had to have an attorney. She needed one that was $4,100. And that was just going over, you know, are we going to compensate her? What if she has to go on bed rest? What if she needs help with childcare because she had to, she has two girls type mm. of thing. Um, she needed life and death insurance, which that was like a scary thing to take out on another right. person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then her medication cycle, like her, her medication was 1200. So at that point we had spent about $13,000 before we even transferred everything. <laughs> so that's for each individual time that you try, correct? So we went in with one embryo, right? And uh-huh. that was for that one time. Um, inadvertently while we were Robert was working. I went with her to the transfer. I brought her flowers and fruit. And, you know, it's, I got to go in there with her and it was the same room, the same OR where I had my eggs retrieved, which is pretty cool. Um, They found out that we actually had another embryo that we didn't know about. And the reason why we didn't know about it was because it wasn't uh, rated. They Mm. weren't able to test its viability. And so for some reason, it wasn't disclosed to us that we actually had to, um, again, I went through chemo and I just, it slipped my mind. So I didn't follow up with anybody. Nobody followed up with me. And then the clinic that we went through was absorbed by another one. And so the one that did all this, like, you know, surrogacy stuff, they were right. like, oh, hey, you actually have another embryo. So then that was an additional, that was like an additional thirteen you know, not 1300 that we had to pay again because like four months had passed from her original blood work. So we had to pay the $3,500 again. Like there were fees that we had to pay over because four months had lapsed. It's very much money, money, money that isn't covered by insurance. So it was a lot. In the end, it ended up being about a $30,000 gamble that did not work. Um, People who know me know I do not have an, an infant. It did not work for us. And, right. you know, it was really sad. I'm, I'm really glad that we had Leanne who was willing to try and do this for us. And I made a really good friend out of it. But unfortunately, it, it did not work out um, right. for our family. I'm glad you're talking about it, though, because so many people, like you said, it doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, a lot of people don't have a clue about the process or anything, or like you stated, like someone like you could 
very much so help other people because those little fees that people don't even think about that mm -hmm. happen. Um, the psychological part, I think, is absolutely phenomenal because, yes, there's so many things that could go wrong or right, but it's like, okay, how would you handle this? Mm -hmm. um, and that's important. But to have someone that people can talk to, such as yourself, is so needed. Um, and I think for some women, it may be that they may, you know, it's painful to talk about sometimes, depending on the situation, how it ended up or what have you. But I thank you so much for sharing that because I know that's a very intimate part of your life that is very private and very dear to your heart. And I mean, you shared it with us when you felt led to, but um, I know that was a very hard time for you. And yeah, so I thank you so much for sharing that. Do you have any places where people could go and get information about surrogacy that you would, you know, kind of guide people towards? Um. So unfortunately, again, it, it's a really hard hard thing to work through. There are agencies out there who will help you find a surrogate, you know, for a fee, of course. Um, and it's just kind of searching for different organizations. Um, ART was the organization where we had like our, our insurance um, for her. And they, I believe they also will match people with a surrogate. I was just very, very lucky. I knew somebody. Right. Um, Facebook actually was very helpful. Leanne had joined um, several groups for surrogates. And so when we were going through like the transfer and, you know, it came back pregnant and our numbers are really great. And then when the numbers started, right. now, like she had a resource that she could go to. She had a lot of support through that, which was really, really helpful. So if anybody is thinking about being a surrogate or even needing one, that could be an avenue um, to search some Facebook groups. Uh, but unfortunately, like even if you go to a fertility clinic, uh -huh. they're very vague as to what they put out there for you, because um, I don't think they want you to be scared of the cost. And it is costly. Mm -hmm. And I will say, though, there are um, and our clinic actually offered this. They offered like a for multiple transfers. Mm -hmm. If it didn't work out, they offered like a money back portion of it. But when we initially went and did everything and paid for everything, we thought we just had one embryo. We didn't know we had two. So we lost out on that ability oh. to have money returned to us. Um, and there are there are people out there, are organizations that do grants. So the Livestrong Foundation, at the time when this was all going down, when um, five years ago, when I was going through fertility, they covered $15,000. Wow. Yes, they covered my medication. They covered um, like most of the surgery, like to have the eggs retrieved. And it was a program because I was a cancer survivor um, going through treatment that they they did that. So we had to cover up front uh, $5,500. That was our portion of it, which and the, the the scope of things when you're looking at, you know, over $20,000 like yeah. that a huge time and we didn't have time to save money. We, we had to go. It allowed us to be able to make this even possible. Right. I don't think they do it anymore. I've been looking into it. Um, I don't think they cover it as they did, but they do offer grants and they do offer like storage fees uh, to help pay for like any egg or embryo storage fees. So there's and lots of stuff out there, but you, you have to do a lot of detective work. And that was Livestrong? at yes. the time mm -hmm. okay that's what I thought yes. I had heard you talk about it one time before but I just want to make for yes. sure um 
so far as being military, because I know TRICARE sometimes is TRICARE. Uh, mm-hmm. I gotta love it. Thank you for it. But yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious though, because I know that if you adopt children, not TRICARE necessarily, but they'll help with certain parts of that. But as far as military in general, was there anything in the military being connected to military as far as TRICARE or any other things that are out there that helped at all with the percentage or anything? Not for surrogacy. Really? No, not for fertility or for surrogacy. They did not do anything. I even called a couple of times and was made very clear that they did not do anything for that. Um, I mean, we, I, I have try care select. And so I okay. see out of, out of the network. Maybe, yes. Yes. Um, I was very lucky. I mean, it saved my life, you know, quite honestly, yeah. then, you know, as you know, the medication just to combat, you know, chemo nausea, um, some of the medication was like $13,000 yeah. and I didn't have to pay for anything. So besides like a copay, um, so, you know, it was wonderful when it came to my actual treatment. And even now, you know, I've had, I think five surgeries total, you know, mm-hmm. covering those different things. Um, but unfortunately, fortunately, fertility and surrogacy, it's just not really supported, you know, in the health industry as far as insurance, which is really sad because yeah. for so many people, if you're doing it, it's because that is your that's your only choice if you want to make it happen, you know, and it's, it's, I feel for people, I feel for people who this, this is the only avenue that they have, um, because it is not an easy process. It is mentally, physically, emotionally draining. And it's just, there's a lot of heartbreak that goes with it. And it's really sad. It's not supported more. Yeah. Because, um, especially for people who have no children at all. Um, and this, like you said, this is the only possible option to have at least one child. I mean, it's bad. It's, it's, it's sad regardless, but it's like, darn it. Like that may have been their only hope and they just don't have the support. And it's just, it breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart. That's why I was so, I was so glad when you said, yes, I want to talk about it. I was like, yay, because people don't, they don't talk about it. Um, and it needs to be supported. Yes. Uh, so speaking of children, though, you have a precious baby girl. Yes. Well, it's not a baby anymore. I'm sure she no, probably she's six. <laughs> but she used to say something to you. And I want you to share that story because mm-hmm. I know for you, your child has only known you as mommy who's gone, you know, who has, I- I'll let you share the story because it's very emotional. It's very touching. But, um, but yeah, but I know your baby has gone through this with you. Yeah. And whether she knows it or not, I mean, one day she'll, well, she obviously knows it, but I'm staying yeah. to the magnitude um, of knowing what breast cancer really consists of. But share, if you don't mind, that story, because you share it everywhere. So that's yeah. why I'm yeah. asking you to share it. <laughs> no, I love it. It's, you're right. Riley has never known a life with me without breast cancer. And no, I don't have it currently, but it's very right. much part of my everyday life. I still take medication. I had a follow up you know, oncology appointment on Monday, by the way, I know my mom's watching. My blood work was great. Sorry. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> um, so I still have appointments. I have scars all over my body. She knows all my scars. Um, you know, 
I was bald. I lost my hair. She, when she was little, cause she was a little over a year old. She never liked me to wear wigs. Like I, I would put a wig on and she'd be like, no, or, you know, have some sort of bandana and her and my husband both like to pat, you know, pat my head and, you know, she would pat it. And that was just like love right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the story goes, she had to have been like four years old. Um, and whenever she sees anybody that has a pink ribbon on them anywhere, she will say like, mommy, is that one of your ladies? Or yeah, one of your, yeah, she calls them ladies. She says, is that one of your ladies? And I always say, yeah, yep, it is. Because we're like, you know, it doesn't matter if I know you or not, we're bonded in this really sad, weird way. Um, But yeah, so we were at like Chipotle or something. I don't even remember. But she said, mommy, that lady speaks your language. And I was like, the heck are you talking about? And she's, she said, look, she has your mark. And so I cry every time I think about this. So she, she's six years old. She still calls it my mommy's mark. She says pink is the color of our family. Um, she wears like, she'll have, she'll call it mommy day. She has a pink shirt, you know, that has a ribbon on it. Oddly enough, it was for my cousin, Kelly, (laughs) Um, her, her, her breast cancer walk that we did for her. Um, but you know, she has a shirt, she'll wear a pink skirt. She has a little, you know, bow with ribbons on it. She's like, it's mommy day. And, you know, she'll tell anybody and everybody that my mommy had cancer. My mommy, that's my mommy's mark. Um, Mm -hmm. she's very, very proud of it. She doesn't understand it. Right. (laughs) Really? She really doesn't understand it, but she's still, she's so proud of it. And it's just, you know, that it's, is so beautiful. You very, always get us every time that you tell this story. I'm always I crying. Know, I know it's, it's, I, I tear up every time too, because it's really sad. Like yeah. I have a hot flash. She grabs my fan. She knows she used to say, mommy, you want a hot flash? And I was like, no, um, she'd get it mixed up, but she knows I have hot flashes. She knows, you know, like my knees, my, you know, missing cart. Like she knows all the different things of how it affects my body. And, right she supports me, but she, um, yeah, she's, she's something else. She really is beautiful. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. And for anyone who's seeing the real, you'll see the picture of the surrogate with her and her husband. She's, um, the surrogates in the bed, in the hospital bed, and they're beside her. You'll also see a picture of Riley touching her mommy's head after she had had her hair. Um, I think it was after you had your hair shaved, correct? It was the next day. I was so scared that I would scare her, but she. Yeah, that is so, ah, so touchy. Okay. Now you got me crying. All right. (laughs) So you also became a facilitator for Here for the Girls. Do you want to share a little bit about that and maybe also like what your month meant, means to you that you yes. chose the calendar? Absolutely. So, you know, I went through treatment. I was diagnosed in April, finished chemo in December of 2018. And they're like, congratulations. You're no evidence of disease. You're Ned. You're good to go. We'll see you in like three months. And you're just like, yeah what next yeah because it is just like go 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 and then suddenly it all stops and everyone's like okay you're done bye you know the support kind of not family support that never left but like other things kind of start to fizzle and the truth of the matter is you feel like you are broken into a million pieces 
and you have to figure out how to put yourself back mm-hmm. together. And, you know, after months, months of pumping my body full of chemicals that killed all the unhealthy cells and all the healthy cells, like I literally felt like garbage. Um, And that's when I found here for the girls. I was just looking for support. Um, And you know how I found them, actually? Something came up for the calendar to live by. That's how I found it. So I saw it. And it was like, they were looking for women to apply for the calendar. And I was like, well, this is really cool. I was like, maybe next year. Like, I don't think I'm, I'm ready quite yet, but let me look into it. And so, you know, I signed up, it's free. Um, I spoke with Vicki and she called and had a great conversation. And I, I told her where I was, you know, in my journey, like treatment's over. I'm looking for more, like I can't, I couldn't just walk away. Like people and to each their own, but there's, there's some women who go through it and they're like, okay, it's behind me. I never want to think about it again. Right. Which is their right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I could not do that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I couldn't just pretend like not pretend. I just couldn't, I don't know. I, I needed to move on, but I needed to move on with, with women who like got me and understood right. that, you know, I'm not normal anymore you know because they say oh go back to normal and here's the kicker they say oh you know no evidence of disease and you're like how do you know absolutely they don't scan you you would think they don't scan you they're not like oh we finished treatment let's do a full body mri and make sure nope like you just have to have faith that it worked and thankfully you know i'm pretty sure it has (laughs) um but it's just I needed support, not for the during, because I had, I have an amazing support system, an amazing family and friends. It was the after part where I needed, I needed people to validate my fear because that fear never, ever, ever goes away. I needed to validate that, you know, I have, I have osteopenia in my hips and in my lower back. Like, you know, I, my bone density is affected. I have hot flashes. I'm in menopause. Like there's so a myriad of effects. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of found them and it was this instant relief and connection. And, you know, you hold it together for so many people. I hold it together for my husband. I hold it together for my daughter, even, you know, my family, like, you know, of course I can tell them things, but I don't tell them, I don't tell them everything. I don't tell them the the dark places in my mind that right. I have gone in fear. Um, and so here for the girls has just been life-saving. And so I actually went to a couple groups and then I was offered, um, I offered like a job position. <laughs> like I said, I wanted to do more. I wanted to be involved right. more. What else can I do? And they said, you know, COVID was goodness gracious, COVID was, I guess COVID hadn't hit yet because this was 2019. They had said they wanted to do a virtual group. And so I was like, okay, like I actually am very comfortable teaching and, you know, I'm an educator. We forgot to talk about that, but you know, I I taught virtually. Um, And so I was like, sure, sure, sure. So I started that in July of 2019 and then COVID hit and then everything went Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, 
started the newly diagnosed group. Um, we wanted a group where it was just women who were newly diagnosed because you are in just this whirlwind of emotions. It is so raw, so unbelievable. And we wanted that separate from our the regular support groups where women are five years out or three years out or or still in treatment. Right. Um, and so, you know, we we started that up and I facilitated it for my by myself for a while. And then one of the um, members, Jessica Bondi, ended up becoming a co-facilitator. And that's a beautiful thing. These groups are facilitated by people who have yep. gone through it. Just Absolutely. Saying. We're not medical <laughs> professionals, but we we know what it's like. And so, you know, and then you joined us, Christina. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you joined us and it was just... I don't know. At that point, I signed up for the calendar because again, like I couldn't get enough of wanting to, to just, it gives you so much life and, and passion um, and purpose. And so I, I wanted to do more. So I signed up to be calendar ambassador and you have to apply and it's an extensive process. You have to, you know, write all the things. And um, I was chosen as one of the ladies and it's funny, you get to choose three months. You put them yeah. in order of preference. October was actually my last month. <laughs> it was not my first choice. Um, I'm glad it ended up being October. I chose my first choice was May because um, that's when I had I've had most of my surgeries, which oh, is okay. a weird reason to put. It's just a significant month. Um, mm -hmm. My second month, I think I put February because Riley's birthday is in February, and then my third choice was October. Um, because my birthday is in October and my cousin Kelly's birthday is in October wow. who fought this and it's Halloween month. It's like the best month. And I got it. And I'm glad I got October in the end. I'm very lucky. It's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you were doing that you may want to share? I have, is this a leading question? No, I'm just asking. Um, so yeah, so I've actually, um, co-authored a children's book with a friend of mine, Alana. She, um, is actually, she lives in Puerto Rico. We went to high school together. She was diagnosed six weeks before me. And so she was diagnosed. I was talking to my dear friend, Megan, when I, when I, when I was diagnosed and she's like, you're never going to believe this. Like Alana was just diagnosed. And I was like, wow. oh my God. So we connected and we were very much there for each other. Our, our treatment, like kind of, I had surgery first, then chemo. She had chemo first, then surgery. So, you know, we were able to support each other. Um, so we, we co-authored a book called my mommy's fight. And it is the story of um, a mom going through can through treatment, through diagnosis and treatment, through the eyes of her child. And so, you know, we looked out there, there's different children's books and they talk about it a little bit, but this is from the child's perspective. It is a rhyming book because we were determined to make a rhyming book for young kids. Um, yeah. And it's very much a love letter. I could cry again. It's very much a love letter to our kids because she has two kids and, you know, I have Riley. And so, you know, her son was older and some of the questions in the book, her son literally asked them, um, you know, mommy, does your cancer hurt? Mommy, can I get it? And like, there's a part in it about, you know, the ch I like to pat my mommy's bald head and that is for Riley, you know? So yeah. our goal is to help family, you know, women with young children 
navigate the process together because you're learning it. And it talks about having surgery. It talks about having chemo and radiation. Um, and then it ends with like my mommy's a fighter and it doesn't end with my mommy beats it and survives because that's not a luxury every woman has. Um, so we're, we're trying to get it published. So if you're a publisher out there and <laughs> you want, you want to help us, that's great. Um, that's been a lengthy process. And then Leanne and I, my surrogate, we are co-authoring a book. Um, I should have put that about me. Apparently I'm a, I'm an aspiring author. Um, we've co-authored a book. We're working on it about surrogacy. And so I wanted it to be just like, it was going to be like a quick blog post, but it's turning into an actual legitimate book, but it's from my point of view and her point of view. Wow. So the, the process, everything from how I experienced it and how she experienced it, it breaks down like what we had to go through. It breaks down the cost. Um, and I'm trying to just really use it for a guide to help women, especially cancer survivors. could be anybody, but it's geared yeah. towards cancer survivors, you know wanting to go that, through this. That's good because you're hitting two areas that don't have a lot, like the surrogacy, we talked about that, but children, mm -hmm. there's not a lot out there for children for our support. I know when my, right. I was going through for my teenager, it wasn't, or if it was, it was like at a different hospital, far, far away. It just wasn't anything like nearby on a consistent basis. It may be a camp once a year or during the summer or something like right. that. It was nothing consistent. So to even have a book that is very beneficial, especially for little children. So, yes. And, you know, I have two books that my daughter had and it was like the, the, the bye-bye hair and whatever boo-boo, but yeah. it referred to the cancer as a butterfly that needed to be released. And mm -hmm. it's like, no man, no man. Like we lose our hair. Most of us, we yeah. are bruised. We can't pick you up. And that's what the book talks about. Like my mommy can't pick me up right now, you know, right. because of this, like my mommy's covered in scars that, you know, so we, we talk about my mommy doesn't have energy today. Um, I like to do this to help her. And it's, it's a narrative, you know, story. So it's told in a story form, but it is very much like, this is what you could possibly go through. So parent right. reading it, a mom reading it can be like, okay, this is normal that I'm laying on the couch and I feel like doo-doo and I can't play right. with my kid right now. Instead of right. instead of comparing it to a butterfly that needs to be released. Like, no, yeah, it's not it's, a butterfly, man. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, no matter what level of stage grade or whatever, it's it's just not a fun venture to go yeah. on. Um, it's, one it's a lovely book. Don't I know I'm not trying to like knock it or anything, but it doesn't, it's not real. It's not. It a real and it didn't register to you. And that's the thing you're telling yeah. it from your perspective with what you went through with your children, um, where your child, and then also the off the other author yes. with you. So I think that's nothing but fair. You get to say what you want to say. Um, <laughs> and if that book didn't relate, it just didn't relate. And it probably didn't relate to a whole lot of people. And mm -hmm. I like the fact that you didn't necessarily end it in a way that because it doesn't it doesn't always end the way that we necessarily may want it to end some people do transition you know I like to say transition some people say pass away or um you know they they pass on to wherever they go in in death and that's a part of some people's story and it's something that shouldn't be shied away from 
Um, so I like the fact that you kind of left it kind of open, you know, far yeah. as like the ending part, because that isn't everybody's story. And I, and I don't ever try to candy coat that part. Um, cause we don't know, just like, we don't know, we, we hope we think positive thoughts, pray, whatever we do that it doesn't come back. We don't want recurrences, but that's also not everybody's story. You know, um, that can, those things can happen. So given that you wrote a very realistic book, is very beneficial and one that little kids can understand on their level, as well as the surrogacy part, like, yes. uh, and putting the information in their detail information. So that's good. So um, if you don't have anything else, do you have anything else you want to share? You want to just talk about like your song next, or do you have anything else that you got to make for sure you share? Cause I want to make sure you say whatever you need to say. Uh, kind of going going back to how we don't always survive it um, and transition. And a lot of people who know us know that we just lost our sister Erin, you know, like three weeks ago. Um, she, they knew, you all knew what I was going through with surrogacy. You know, we have our group and us keeping everybody updated. And so when we, the second embryo didn't, I just said second, you didn't see it, but in my <laughs> underground, like the second embryo, like that's, three fingers, Tara. Um, when the second embryo didn't work out, you know, Erin selflessly offered us some eggs, um, mm -hmm. to use. And we really thought hard about it. And at that point we were like, you know, we just can't take any heartbreak. And I told her that I was, and I told my husband, I was like, man, but if I were to have, if I were to use anybody's egg to be able to have a little Aaron running around a little Aaron and you, like you guys will make a cute kid. Cause it wouldn't be my, my, my egg anymore. I, gosh, I really, 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 really thought about it. Um, but I don't know. I just wanted to say that was amazing. She, she had was diagnosed, you know, stage four. Huh? She was battling with the dream of having her own kids one day. And she, very much was like, Hey, I got some eggs that you can have if you want them. And, you know, um, we just lost her. So it's, it's really, really hard. Um, but just this community that you build together where you're willing to just offer, you know, your eggs to a fellow survivor and not think twice about it. And, you know, because you want them to succeed and you want them to be able to have grow their family. And it's just, it's so, so, so special. It's, you yeah. know, yeah. And that's the, the sadness in it, but yet the beauty in our relationships that we have that a lot of people may not understand. <laughs> um, we hurt together. We cry together. We mm -hmm. um, laugh a lot together too. Yes. Um, we have emergency phone calls. Uh, Tara honestly was the first, <laughs> the first person when I had the cyst and the radiologist was like, this is not a cyst. This is definitely a lesion and a mass. And Tara, honest to God, after a quick prayer of just to God, like, I don't know, but just then I got on the phone. Um, and she was the first person I called. She was the first person I called. Um, because I, I needed someone in that moment who could understand what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. Some people may be like, you know what? It's okay. Just wait till you go to the doctor, your next doctor's visit, you know, don't try to think the worst. 
but I needed someone in that moment who would answer their phone real quick. And I knew because it was summer, like I knew you could pick up your phone. Um, and I needed somebody right then. Like I need to, I need to talk to somebody who understand this anxiety and this panic that I'm having right now because of what this radiologist just told me. And she picked her phone up and she talked me to my car. I'm like profusely crying. And she was just there. And she's like, I, you know, she understood. It wasn't even, and, and that's one thing about us within this, um, like here for the girls and other groups and other organizations, because it's not that you'll say, oh, I can't imagine. No, it's like, I, I know, <laughs> I know. It may be on different levels, but to know, someone knows when you go in the doctor's office and hear something you don't want to hear, they can instantly relate. And sometimes you need that in that moment, not just be patient, just, you know, it's going to be okay. I didn't need to hear none of that. No, I didn't. And I'm, and you know, Tara knows I'm a Christian and, you know, I pray all the time, but I didn't need to hear none of that either because I already knew I could do it. <laughs> you know, I need to hear <laughs> someone who could relate to me in that vulnerability, that moment of vulnerability. And yeah. she was there for me. And so that's why when we stress the part about friendships and like how she shared about Aaron, when Aaron when she found out about Aaron, um, I don't know if you want to share what, what you did, um, but that's this is what we do. Yeah, I called you instantly. I called her. I hung up with Jackie and I called you instantly. It's funny because my daughter was up here when I found out. And so she's sick. She doesn't understand. She's really weird with like death and stuff. She was, you know, she's like, I don't know if you're happy or you're crying, sad tears. Like she had this weird smile and I was like, I'm sad, like get out. And so she went and got my husband and I called, I called Christina immediately. And I told her like, again, sobbing. And I told her, I was like, I just need to hear your voice. And they came up, you know, my husband peeked in cause he had no idea. And I was like, I need privacy, get out. Like yeah. I made him leave. And I just, you know, he's usually my comfort. He's usually the person I go to and he comforts me. But in that moment, I just needed you. Like I yeah. just needed to hear your voice. I don't even know what we talked about. Does it matter? Like, I think I just cried. I think you just cried. I just needed to hear you. Yep. She was at home. I was in the middle of the mall. Crying. Oh, you were in the mall? God. I didn't even know. Yeah, I was in the middle of the mall. I was bawling. Um, but that's what we do. And I know some of our sisters are watching tonight. I see them up here. And But that's what we do as a family. We we call each other sisters in the family. and. Um, so it's, it's very special and dear to us, our, even though we were bonded by a traumatic experience, yet that traumatic experience does not define our friendship. No. So sometimes it can define friendships. And then once, you know, the trauma is over, the friendship's over. That's not what we have here. Um, and all of us kind of like, we just come together and we love one another. And Aaron was very significant within the circle of friendship. Yeah. Um, so if you hear us talking about her and crying or whatever it's because that's a real emotion it's very um recent and even if it wasn't recent I'll probably still be crying because she was just a good person very good person so um so yeah so you have a song we'll <laughs> be up here crying all night <laughs> so you had a song and I wanted you to explain the the name of the song who it's by and the reason why you chose that song Tom Petty won't back down. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know. 
like, of course, I know Tom Petty. I don't know. I don't know who said, Hey, I feel like, I feel like it was someone in my family. It was like, you know, Tara Barra. They call me Tara Barra. Tara Barra, listen to the song. Reminds me of you. I don't even know what it was, but the day of my mastectomy, the morning, like really early, my husband and I get up and go. And I, first of all, said, I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. That was my one thing. Um, and it was like five in the morning and we just drove to the hospital with the windows rolled down, blasting the song. <laughs> and it just, it just empowered me. And then January, the next, the next January, so January, 2019, um, I flew down to Florida cause that's where I'm from to do the Susan B. Komen walk. And the, the irony was I had done that walk before maybe not even 10 years before for a very close, I say family member. Um, she wasn't family, but she was family, Nancy, who died of breast cancer. And God, now I wish, I wish I could ask her so many questions. I wish, I wish I knew I was 20. I was like 23 when she passed. Right. Um, so we would walk it for her and you know, I, I flew down there to walk it for myself and they played that song. Actually, they called all the survivors onto the stage and they're playing, I won't back down. And we're all arm in arm singing, um, you know, our hearts out. And it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of become my own anthem for myself. Okay. And what's one word that you could leave everyone tonight that maybe they're dealing with their scars and, you know, they may be older scars, but they still, it's very difficult for them to look at them. Or maybe they have new wounds. What's a word and why would you choose that word for people to hold on to? Oh, goodness. You got this, Tara. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, oh, man. <laughs> Is this been like the questions that you lined up for me and that I didn't even, gosh, what was the, what's the one word? Um, uh, okay. Validation. I'm going to say validation. Um, I want to validate you that, you know, it's okay to look at yourself and see what you see to feel broken because we do mm -hmm. many ways. We still feel broken. Um, I'm validating that for you. I'm validating that it's, it's okay to, be scared to be resentful. We, we get a lot like, Oh, well, you're alive. You know, that silver lining. And, you know, like you said, I'm a very positive person. Um, but it, it's okay to mourn who you were because you're not that person anymore. I don't know, just validation because that's what this care for the girls has been for me is validation that when you, when you called me, Christina, you weren't looking for anybody to put a silver lining to make it positive. You were just looking for someone to sit there in the darkness with you and validate that you were super scared. And I did not blame you for being scared. Yep. And I wasn't going to try and change that for you. Yes. This is a very scary thing. I'm here with you, you know? So my word would be validation that, you know, yeah, that's, that's what I got. I don't know. <laughs> no, that was good. I love and it. And I totally read their your questions clearly to prepare myself as to what to, I just look like. I can't really this. prepare because I throw other questions in there, but you know, it's a little, just try to help you along just a little yes, bit. Yes, but, yes, I appreciate it. 
I feel like as calendar ambassadors, we've told our stories so many times and so many yeah. news at this point. Like we're walking, I'm a walking billboard. I wear earrings. I've got my cup every day. Like, you know, my daughter's like, oh, look, you know, I'm willing to go up and talk to anybody and everybody. Absolutely. About it. So, yeah. It comes very natural. Yes, it, <laughs> does. it does. It does. So before we end, I want to share with you, Tara. Yes, ma'am. Um, Cause I usually used to do a word, but it's coming into more like sentences, but <laughs> anyway, I want you, when I think of you, I think of hope. I think of a person who just exudes hope. You, you're very, you, you think of the positive, like I said, so it makes someone who talks to you feel hopeful, but at the same time, you can meet people where they are and not necessarily say, oh, I'm going to feed you a whole bunch of hope right now because that's not necessarily what they need. They just need someone to listen. So you're a good active listener. And I'm sure, you know, because you're an educator slash teacher <laughs> for some who want to say teacher, but you're very good with not only teaching, but listening. And a lot of people can't listen. A lot of people want to overtalk people or talk down to people. And you are a very good listener. But I really want to let you know that it's time for you to prepare. And what I mean by prepare is that the next steps of your life, the book, different things that you're doing, you need to prepare because you may be traveling. You may be going places, doing speaking on a different type of platform. So I would say for you, preparation, as you continue to produce and exude hope to millions of people. So that's what I want to leave you with tonight. I hope I can travel and, and talk. Yeah, I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. So, again, any publishers out there? Hey. You know what? You may not even need a publisher. You may just do it yourself. So anybody want to give me some money to self-publish because it's expensive. <laughs> I've looked into it. That's okay. Put it out there, girl. Put it out there. You never know who might give. But yeah, so I thank you so much for coming on tonight. I'll be seeing you at the end of the month so we can do our meeting. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So anyone who's listening, who just hopefully you haven't been diagnosed, but if you're newly diagnosed, you need someone to, you know, join alongside of you and just be there for you. We are, it's once a month, what, the last Thursday of each month? Fourth Thursday. At the fourth Thursday. That's right. It's at, virtual. Um, do what now? It's virtual. Yeah, it's virtual and it starts at 6.30, correct? Six o'clock. Six six o'clock for newly diagnosed it's yeah 6 30 if you've never been to group before I mean six six, six if you've never been to group before because we give you some time like one-on-one 6 30 if you are coming back right yes. as for newly diagnosed individuals who women who are under the age of 51 mm -hmm. and it's yep. the first six months since diagnosis yep so we welcome you with open arms. Feel free to come and join um, so we can support you if that's what you need. Yeah. So that is another episode of Our Scars thank Speak. Um, we thank each and every one of you for listening tonight, for joining us. And remember that our scars speak a story. Our mental and our physical scars speak a story that should be shared. When you need to share it, we're not going to tell you when, but we hope you will because someone can benefit from the scars that you have on your body or even your mental scars, your story, which produces the story that can help other people heal their wounds. So until next time, we see you later and we love you.
Thank you for listening to Our Scars Speak, and we hope you can join us again real soon. Meanwhile, remember that our mental and physical scars speak a story that can help heal the wounds of another.